Hello and welcome to episode 241 of The Crate and Crowbar. It is the 6th of June, 2018. My name is Chris Thurston and tonight I'm joined by Tom Francis. Hello. And returning guest, John Roberts. Hi, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Good. Good, how are you? What's all this Alex that's been on the podcast? What's that about? <laughs> Alex. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the thing, like once you've, um, you know, it's, I sort of, I think I unlocked him as like a permanent <laughs> DLC companion. Now I won't leave my house. You have to complete the game as me first, then you unlock Axe. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Like, um, his, uh, special ability is, um, upending the podcast with <laughs> the invention of a phrase, basically. Um, so yeah, I think we just need to grind Alex rep until we permanently unlock John. <laughs> You got the taster of me at the very start of the game, but my mm. advanced podcasting has been taken away from you. I like to think you appear in the you appear in the uh, pre-game flash forward <laughs> as a sort of end game companion, mm. you know, in a sort of like, um, oh well, this is this is the end game party. But then after you all, you know, die to the time beast during the first during that prologue section and then yeah. you wake up and then you have to start off normally and you you know you hang out with me and tom senior and <laughs> and it's 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 and then you know uh and then obviously like uh marsh vanishes at the end of the first act and then you know eventually mm-hmm. it feels like 200 hours later and they finally get back to that moment again and that very small amount of screen time and as such are slightly underwritten Yes, but that often will give the community a little bit more to run with, <laughs> uh, in the production of fan fiction of all kinds. Uh, you're, you're sort of, uh, like a, it's a useful, uh, operational kind of storytelling bit to have in any, in any kind of expansive fantasy universe, which is what this is, obviously. I feel I've derailed this as much as I. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's good. And, um, you know, never apologize for that. In fact, you do it more. Um, it's, it's what, it's what, at this point, the notion of a rail is. <laughs> questionable distant memory um it, it as a as a sort of gesture at some sort of structure we could talk about video game news except it remains I, i've said it's the week before e3 for about three weeks running now <laughs> uh, it now actually is the week before e3 which means uh yeah there's there's not a whisper in the house of video game <laughs> as far as i can tell surely there's- the big boys should be dropping their press releases and stuff to get ahead of the curve right they sort of have been but like and we've we've we've, we've talked about some of that in previous episodes we've talked about the various battles and cods and, and stuff mm. did you um talk about any of the sort of battlefields they've sort of announced a bunch of gameplay specifics just sort of in text just oh saying, not really no like we this, mostly made jokes about i don't know what we were talking about <laughs> i was on um reddit and uh every time a Post from Reddit Gaming bubbles up to the, the front page. It's always just them ragging on EA or something. Mm. And like the lamest, like limpest satire of just EA, they make money, don't they? <laughs> and then that votes out with 46,000 votes. Um, and this one was just a tweet from the Battlefield account saying, no loot boxes, no season pass, no, um, something else. And all players have access to all the same maps and vehicles and everything forever. Um, and then it was just that. And then like, Admiral Akbar saying it's a trap but there wasn't any like I didn't see any actual criticism like why is it a trap what is what do you think they are going to do I guess it's just general skepticism but anyway I was just curious about whether that treat was genuine so I looked it up on the Battlefield account it's quite recent uh, but I had to scroll through like 40 uh, tweets that were just like surprisingly substantive announcements about like <laughs> yeah, yeah one was just like uh, all guns in Battlefield 5 hit exactly where you click like or exactly where you're you're pointing there's no random bullet deviation i was like what that seems crazy <laughs> yeah. so i actually like read it up about it i sort of 
I assume they're going to do kick, right? They're like the, your your gun yeah. must derail. derail that's the first shot your, though from your MP44. Yeah, because actually, now that you mentioned it, that's how the LMG worked in Battlefield Two, mm. and it was crazy overpowered. Like it's supposed to be this thing of like. Oh yeah, the first shot's always accurate, but because it rides up so crazily, you yeah, miss because you were going to hold the fire button down because it's cinematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But instead, support classes became snipers because it, that first bullet was really powerful and also totally accurate. Uh, but I guess they didn't learn any lesson from that because <laughs> they're just going to do that. Well, also, I mean, in, in, in a lot of ways, like the thing I like about, so like, obviously they, they removed, uh, for, for Battlefront 2, they, they got rid of map packs, basically. Uh, right. you know, community dividing map packs. Maps were, f- they added new maps, but they were free as part of events and things. Uh, but that came along with like the loot got, the loot box controversy that like killed loot boxes. Yeah. Cause at the moment, you know, Disney is phoning you to tell you to stop it. <laughs> it you do. Um, so, that was, you know, and so it feels like every year they remove another thing <laughs> they have done <laughs> that people hated, yeah. and maybe that maybe that's meeting the 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 gun design decisions of two thousand and two or whenever it was coming the other way, right? <laughs> like, you know, they'll be sold in hard copy next. There's also um, a couple of things that sounded good. One is uh, apparently if you are facing forward i don't know quite what they mean by that but as long as you're facing forward if you're pressing fire you are firing even if you're like vaulting over something or your character's mm. busy with some kind of animation they'll mm. just make fucking sure that your guy fires your gun because <laughs> since that's like you know iterating on these franchises for uh decades and they're primarily about firing guns <laughs> i finally thought you know what's really important in our game it's, can't we just make firing guns like more shootier can't you just be shooting more of the time <laughs> And I applaud that. <laughs> Maybe that's the thing that balances the fact that the first shot is always accurate. It's like the first shot is always accurate, but you're always, based on the trailer, you're always vaulting, like sliding. You're never like crawling backwards up. on your back. Yeah, exactly. You're firing. never standing up, right? Like <laughs> they did actually say that, like another thing they're bragging about, which wasn't particularly interesting to me was like when you're all running towards a capture point, instead of all playing the same run animation, like some of you will be slipping on the mud and some of you will be doing this other stuff. So yeah, maybe you're just like sliding around. Do you only see yourself do the coolest run? <laughs> that would be good. If you look down, your legs are doing the super cool one. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone else's legs are sliding around. It's a lovely idea, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I'm, I'm impressed by the, it's always the, the sort of the double life of the Battlefield games is like pure spectacle generators and also quite competitive shooters for a small minority of people who are actually, maybe I'm, underestimating how many people know what the fuck is going on in a battlefield game but but yeah that sort of determination that they look like a call of duty scripted sequence while also being in some way dynamic they're also changing it so that instead of only medics being able to revive people anyone on your squad can revive you but not with full health um (laughs) and if you're a medic you can revive anyone and to full health uh, but they're basically trying to make the squads more kind of tight knit and depend on each right. other more. Which actually, I, I like the idea of that because that was the, the best thing about, I was a big Battlefield 2 fan and the only other game since then, the Battlefield series that I really got into was 2142, which its world wasn't very interesting, but it was the sci-fi one. Um, obviously. <laughs> um, but I got into it just because this, they've made just a t- few tiny tweaks to the squad system where, um, you got more points for doing things that your squad leader told you to do. And the squad leader got points for you doing them. And mm. there was just like rewards for, you know, sticking together as a unit. Um, and stuff like, you know, I can't remember what the first game was within, I guess Battlefield 2 actually was, um, you could spawn on your squad leader and mm. that was 
why Battlefield started to click for me really was just making the squad an, a unit because that's like manageable amount of, of human interaction. <laughs> the like 32 players and the commander and stuff, all that stuff is way over my head. And the totally random deathmatch type stuff, that makes me feel completely outclassed and alone. If I have like three or four guys and mm. uh, we're just kind of muddling through, that's kind of my comfort level. I think two was the only one they tried that commander position. Mm. Um I think I remember playing with it a few times where it worked out, but mostly it was just someone trapped in a box for <laughs> yeah. half an hour who occasionally got to drop a Jeep on someone. <laughs> Yelling at everyone for not doing what they said. Yeah. Why aren't you doing this? Do this. It's, I like the, I mean, because the, the sort of logic of squads in Battlefield was already strained. Like the fact that your squad here is as like, like a, I don't know, like an alien queen or something. <laughs> you can just sort of like spawn other soldiers. But now the notion that every squad has like some kind of special pat or like sort of like unique to them handshake that makes people feel better. <laughs> you run over to like your uh, a dying comrade and try and resurrect him. It's like you're not on my fucking squad. Get away from me! <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing. <laughs> you right? think like, you are? There must be something specific. Maybe it's because they were all spawned from the same brood. <laughs> <laughs> They've all got compatible blood type. <laughs> exactly. Uh, whereas you know, they're, if they're from another hive, then they will fight and devour one another. I don't like understand <laughs> the logic of this universe, but. You know, but it's also possibly like I was thinking, like an amusing handshake, or uh, yeah, it's fun to to read the official blurb trying to describe how the resurrection animation is different, which is that you face the person resurrecting you and they face you without using the word intimacy. <laughs> really yeah. trying not to use that word. It's, it's kind of more personal, and you see their face and you see the customization. It's visceral. It'll, it'll be a kissing. cool moment. Yeah. <laughs> You touch each other, you look into their eyes for a long time and appreciate what just passed between you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as obviously that, you know, you're, you're both the spawn of the same brood sergeant, uh, <laughs> that is a forbidden intimacy. <laughs> it must be very carefully managed on the battlefields of World War II. <laughs> I don't understand this game at all. I suppose the other thing that was, uh, confirmed is Assassin's Creed Origins 2 Odyssey. Oh yeah. And it's Sparta. Oranges. Uh, it's Greece. Right. It was rumored to be Greece for a long time. Um, and it's Greece. And it got kind of leaked by a keychain <laughs> or? Yeah, a mer- bit of merch. Yeah. I think it was an Assassin's Creed keychain that said the thing on it. It might not be. And had a helmet. Yeah. And then they officially leaked it. They might have unofficially leaked it in the first place, to be honest, because they do do that. But yeah. Although I thought they, they, when they sort of copped to it, they released a gif of someone being kicked off a cliff in a very Sparta, in a very 300 mm. way. Um, and, uh, I might be being overly critical, but I thought it was slightly junky. <laughs> like the animation was a bit weird. And I wondered if they rushed it together because the news was out sooner than they expected. Yeah. I mean, no one made them make that the trailer. <laughs> no. <laughs> they could have just done the logo and see you at E3, which is what they basically did do. It's I a bit d- weird that you can like, you can just sort of announce what your next game is by, by just making a scene from a movie that you don't have the rights to. <laughs> like, mm. Oh, it's going to be that. It's going to be that, that movie. We can't say that, but yeah. I mean, that well, that's the thing, right? It's like, you know, it tells you immediately, like, what kind of take on ancient Greece are they doing? Because I had this thought about Assassin's Creed going to ancient Greece is that, I had this thought about going to ancient Egypt as well to an extent, but Greece more so is, is, uh, pretty wall, wall trodden. It's wall treadden. <laughs> it's wall treadden ground for video games, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Greece is not an, you know, Assassin's Creed is traditionally one of its strengths has been this is like a part of history or a setting that you wouldn't otherwise traditionally mm-hmm. see in a game, like, you know, even the bad ones, like, you know, Revolutionary America or, uh, or like Renaissance Italy are not like very common settings for action adventure games. Whereas 
being a man in a big helmet who kicks people off things into things. I mean, you know, God of War just found a way out <laughs> of that world. So it'd be interesting to see how that kind of pans out. Yeah. Mm. I, <laughs> I asked mostly because I didn't play Origins, so I don't know you did. So I wonder yeah, if this so is... I mean, if the world is as cool as Origins, I'll be excited. Mm. But I uh, worry that one took them like six or seven years. <laughs> this is going to be the yearly iteration. Mm. Then does it have a thing? Does it have boats? Or I don't think they've shown anything just more than that. Gift not yet. The rumor is that you still play as uh, Bayek. Oh, really? In which case. The Timeline real fucked up. Mm. There were definitely, um, uh, the Greeks were sort of, um, were present in, in Origins and were kind of a plot thing. Like, mm. um, they were, uh, coming over and, and intruding in some way. <laughs> I didn't pay a lot of attention to the plot, but the Greeks are definitely there. Yeah. And if it's not, then it's a prequel because of the way history works, which would make it a prequel to Origins, which is just at that point. <laughs> <laughs> just throw your hands up in the air. Pre-Origins. Yeah. Pro-Origins. <laughs> Origins beginnings. <laughs> Pro-Origins. <laughs> Good. Should we talk about what we've been actually playing? Because mm. there's going to be plenty of news next week. Mm. John, would you like to tell us about a computer game? Yes, I would. And I want to do it carefully because I really liked it. And often that means that I... I uh, can't find words properly, and it sounds bad. Um, but I've been playing Far Lone Sales, which is a fantastic little indie game uh, about going... They describe it as a vehicle puzzle adventure, and it's about um, trundling over a slightly blasted um, monochromatic apocalyptic wilderness in this um, fantastic um, land yacht... Uh, called the Okomotive. The uh, Okomotive? I think that's what it's called, yeah. <laughs> and they named their company after it as well, which is quite uh, cute. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you play as this tiny little um, character who feels like a young girl, but you never actually see um, the character itself because it, um, they're clad in this um, huge red oil skin. Mm. makes you look like a whaler or something. Um, and this is just blowing around as the blustery... Uh, wind and rain comes in and um, very early on you find this uh, excellent vehicle which is half boat half train um, with a little bit of four by four thrown in it's a really nice design and then um, yeah you go inside and it's got um, all these mechanisms inside that it's up to you to control uh, but also like living space and place where you can hang things. Uh, so it's clear that this is going to be your, like your home as you travel across, uh, the wilderness. It has a very inside vibe to it. Yeah. Um, it does. as in play dead inside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so side scrolling, um, uh, I was going to say wordless, but actually there are a couple of words on the vehicle and you pass signposts and stuff. So it's not a hundred percent wordless, but it doesn't ever speak to you. Mm. And the only, uh, I think there were, two control tips like one saying left i was playing on gamepad and one said left stick and the other one said b and that's it <laughs> that's the only kind of communication the game has done to me at all um and like inside it it's, does a really good job of that it um uh leads you in beautifully and there's lots of moments of um where 
you have to figure something out and you're given absolutely no guidance except just the inherent nature of the thing. And there's enough there for you to realize, oh, I think it works like this and try mm. it out and discover it. Yes, it does. And they've, they've contrived the scenario such that, um, what you need to do is, is kind of, uh, you'll blunder into it a little bit. Like there are multiple, uh, times when you sort of crash your vehicle into something and it, sort of works out that where you crashed it happens to be just the right spot for you to add some <laughs> module to it or um uh do something like that and so the, the puzzles early on are, anyway i've only played a bit like an hour and a half maybe two hours um how far are you and john i finished it ah how long was it uh, about four hours okay cool um yeah so far it's uh most of the puzzles have kind of been leading me in the thing i really liked about it is just the um sense of it being a journey it's funny because mm. that's exactly like limbo and inside also are just you start on the left and you go as far to the right <laughs> as you possibly can but they didn't mm. feel like i loved inside but it didn't feel like a journey really i felt like i was moving between it would be, probably be uncharitable to, to say they felt like levels but they were like scenes that it didn't matter that I, that it was continuous that much whereas this really feels like a kind of um, in the same way that Far Cry 2 was insistent on never taking you away from the, from your own first person perspective, the fact that this has all just been one long continuous line from left to right. Um, and the, obviously the fact that you're in a vehicle, the vehicle has limited fuel and you're sort of gathering things from the environment to put into its burner to refuel it. And, uh, whether there's wind effects, to, you know, whether you can use your sails or whether you have to rely on your engine and, you know, running out of fuel and having to manage that gives you this, makes you kind of focus on the distance you're traveling. In fact, there's even like a distance meter, right? Which mm. tells you how far you've gone. It's a little chronometer here. Yeah. yeah, which um doesn't, uh, as far as I can tell, there's, there's no sort of gameplay relevance of it. It's just a nice little reminder that, you know, the whole game is just about mm. travel. Um, mm. I think that journey sense is helped out at the very beginning because um, there's a point, um, your starting location, it becomes just through art and visual storytelling it becomes clear that there's nothing left for you here mm. uh, and then you find this vehicle and uh, it's kind of suggested that something is off to the right hand side of the screen you might want to voyage over there and then you go through um, loading up your car and then finding fuel for it and stoking the engine and stuff and then you have that big point where you're setting off finally and that sense of starting a journey is so strong uh, that yeah it implants that in your head straight away i don't think it's as um like saying it feels like inside inside was quite a grim game yeah and this uh is maybe melancholic yeah um so far um as far as i've played it's been completely free of combat or threat yeah it stays that way cool yeah i think that's a that's really nice because there's actually like um the fact that inside is so beautiful and accessible is almost at odds with the fact that it's so grim and <laughs> horrible at times. Well, maybe it's less grim than Limbo, but it's kind of sinister and spooky and scary. Mm. And I can imagine a lot of people who kind of wanted to like it for the art were put off by how how nasty it can be. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. Inside is definitely horrific. There's mm. like underwater. It's sort of truly. It's horrific, but subtle, which is mm. worse in some ways, but it doesn't... Um, it sort of lets you slip into doing pretty things that are pretty horrific when you think about them without sort of necessarily consi- that's its trick. I think is without really considering it. Yeah. It gets under your skin. Yeah. So the, the time when it tells you to pick something up, tells you what the control for that is, mm. uh, for me, at least I'm standing by what I think is a mailbox, like a mm. red thing. Uh, did you take that with you? I did. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it never particularly, as far as I can tell, there wasn't like a thing it was telling you to do with the mailbox. It was just teaching you how to pick things up. So yeah. I, I kept expecting there to be something. I didn't know it was a mailbox. I just saw I was picking up some kind of red object. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm waiting to, to see what I do with this red object. Oh, there's a red thing there. Can I plug it into that? Mm. Can I do this with it? And then I realized, no, I, I think this is just a mailbox. <laughs> carrying a mailbox. How long do I, should I carry the mailbox for? Um, well, very quickly, because of its um, visual design, you get a sense that mailbox is important because it's a very washed out monochromatic world and then it highlights important and interactable things in usually bright red mm. um, but also some other colors put it in the furnace <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if that was a bad move it's got it's nice because it you sort of it doesn't tell you what to do with with things um and the thing what you can do with stuff is you pick it up take it inside your vehicle and just kind of drop it there um or I think pretty much everything can be put in the furnace. Like I've tried it with, with some very obviously functional, possibly unique things. <laughs> Just tried burning <laughs> them and it worked. Um, and then also the other thing you can do is there are hooks around your, your, um, home, uh, that you can, it, pretty much any object, you can just sort of jump and drop it and it, it ends up hooked to that thing which means you don't collide with it when you're walking around so it's just a, like a convenience thing mm. um and so you can kind of take mementos from different scenes like often in a scene there'll just be something unique that like i just found a bell and i'm, I'm pretty sure it has no gameplay relevance it just makes a ringing noise when you pick it up and so i've hung up that bell above my bed now oh. um <laughs> and uh yeah it's it's interesting leaving that responsibility to the player to figure out what is a useful functional thing what is a memento or collectible um or uh what is you know arguably both <laughs> mm. i've i found a radio and um it plays music and the game has it has its own music as well like it's mostly it's silent for a long time so then there'll be a, like just lovely music that kicks in um at a particular moment just to kind of capture a mood i love that and the radio music was kind of it was nice to hear it at first because you're very isolated and it was like oh cool there's a little link to civilization and then I was just like, the very next section, the radio music was really going on and on. It was kind of like a little bit too jolly for what I was doing. And so I tried, I, I tried to be nice. I picked up the radio and I put it outside the vehicle just to like put it to one side while I solve this puzzle and hoping that when I walked away from it, um, I wouldn't be able to hear it. And it does get quieter, but all it really ha- meant was just, just, it was only coming from my left speaker instead of my right speaker, which made it even more annoying. So eventually I just picked up my radio and put it in the furnace. <laughs> so if the radio is important, I don't have it anymore. <laughs> they use the radio to really set, um, the mood of various locations. Um, like you have that, the, Not the for me. stuff. <laughs> Um, but then you find other stuff coming over the radio as well. Did, which is there ever like a second radio? <laughs> no. Okay. Oops. Um, it's mostly, it's just the solution system. to every problem is to set it on fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, the thing is, I actually don't know if it's a furnace. It's kind of like a platform you put things in, then you hit a switch and it kind of smushes it into the ceiling and turns mm. it into some kind of fuel that then goes into your engine. And the, the, the whole interior of your vehicle has a really nice, uh, it really feels mechanical and feels like yeah. a functional thing that was built to work. Mm. And there's just little quirks to how it works. Like the motor, you know, needs fuel. And then you, you, you start it by pushing a button in by walking right into the button. Yeah. There is no use button. There's just pick up and drop. And for pushing buttons, you just have to physically move into them. And this one, you kind of have to like push yourself against it to start it. And you can just kind of like tap it to kind of rev the engine a little bit, which doesn't do anything. Um, doesn't move you, but if you have sails, um, then it will make the sails, uh, no, wait, it doesn't go, doesn't make them go up. Oh, if you have sails and there's wind, then, but you stopped, uh, initially you won't be moving at all, 
but if you just nudge the engine it kind of tells the vehicle oh you want mm. to move and the sails will catch the wind again it also releases the handbrake which yeah popped on but. you can you can turn off the handbrake by hitting the brake thing again mm. like you can kind of toggle which is another nice mechanical thing it just kind of feels like it does feel like it stopped because of that handbrake and it does feel like you know, it's traveling because of the sails. and um, There's a really nice little loop between feeding the reactor, running down to the throttle, um, then waiting for um, the yacht to get up to speed. And then there's a pressure gauge as well. And if you smash, uh, smash that like, sorry, um, <laughs> if you uh, hit that um, steam release at the right time, um, it feels... As good as active reload. <laughs> wow, that's um, a There's like, uh, it's not particularly tough t- timing puzzle, but it becomes uh, a little harder once you're dealing with like five other things. Um, but you release the steam at the right time. Um, the whole yacht surges forward. It gets some extra um, torque uh, and mm. speeds up. And it makes this amazing um, chuffing noise. <laughs> <laughs> it starts, you just feel the whole thing surge forward and this noise goes... Uh, and yeah it's great it's in there with active reload and the dota gold ching Mm. and the (laughs) counter-strike headshots that's how much i like this noise because it just means you're done good yeah (laughs) it's great Uh, yeah i didn't even realize there was an advantage to leaving it late to do the steam thing i was releasing it all the time yeah it leaves it up to you to learn how to use this machine uh, mm. just on a basic level and then the amount of time you spend interacting with it you, I don't think you can help but discover little yeah. quirks about it as well which I give it a lot of character there's just a couple, like initially there's just two bars behind the engine one labelled with like a diagonal stroke and one labelled two vertical strokes and I was just kind of staring at those I didn't need to know what they did I was getting by fine I wasn't stuck or anything I was just like I bet these mean something <laughs> like, <laughs> they're not speed they're not like steam or, or temperature or something um, and then as, as I kind of added to my vehicle and other things changed, I saw more of them. And then like, I just now figured out what they were mm. like in the last like 10 minutes. The whole time. Was, so yeah, it's cool learning something like that. The whole time I was playing it, I was thinking, I don't know what this word means exactly, but this feels kinesthetic. Mm. <laughs> it's like, this thing is beautiful in motion. Mm. Um, yeah. The great wheels turning around some, when you have the sails up and you're riding along the top deck because the sails are doing it. You don't have to tend the engine anymore. <laughs> it just feels great. Yeah. Yeah. It does have that. Uh, I've actually never been sailing, but it does have a feel of what I imagine is, is sailing is like <laughs> where like it's a lot of work when, when you're in not ideal conditions. And then when you get um, a good wind, <laughs> it's, you, just, you, it's just the best chuffing. You stand on the top and you, top <laughs> you chuff away. <laughs> That's how sailing works, I think. When you get enough wind, then the big pipe goes toot toot. <laughs> Actually, I don't ever want to go sailing because I'm terrified the crossbar is going to swing around and smack me mm-hmm. because I've seen that happen in movies. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't see how I'd avoid it. I don't know when it's going to swing around. Presumably, <laughs> you could gauge it from the way the wind was going. It's not like... <laughs> wind could change at any it's time. It's like a propeller. It's not going around all of the time. That's a helicopter. Me <laughs> thinking of their time Although, as a helicopter. <laughs> well, yeah, definitely in helicopter, I'm scared of getting hit by the rotor. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the text on the signs before. I think mm. that's l- probably my only issue with the game huh. is the use of English on those signs. Right. Hmm. Um, because the names they have on them are not particularly interesting. It's stuff like Speed. Old Town. Or oh, Speed. sorry. The, si- the signs you passed. It, yeah, sorry. Like literal road signs and stuff. It's like Old Town or Windmill yeah. or Sanctuary. And 
they just feel a little too mundane. Like mm. I'd actually appreciate the artifice of having them in Cyrillic or something like mm. that, or just using iconography or something. Yeah. But um, I think the developers are Swiss, so maybe it was working great for them. Anyway. <laughs> I should put some nonsense text on it. You know, <laughs> <English or> something. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sort of interested because obviously like you compare it to Limbo and you're inside those games gate, your progress rate. That's the, the games they are. They're about entering an environment, figuring out how to get to the next one, where mm. every kind of moment that you get to go right is, uh, it's, you know, it's very rarely a game you play on the go. It's, you know, you go right for a bit, you stop at the next area and you go back mm. and forth for a while solving a puzzle. How does that work here? And how does that reconcile with the fact that you want to be going fast and you want to make the, the train boat car go chuff, chuff, chuff? <laughs> Yeah, to me, it feels like about 50-50 time-wise between just traveling, plane sailing, and actually hitting some kind of gate or obstacle and then figuring out how to get past it and what you have to do mm. to do that, getting out of the vehicle and sorting that out. Uh, but distance-wise, obviously, it's like 90% the traveling bits and then the, you know, the bits that stop you are, um, in terms of, uh, how much of the game they are and like physical space are tiny compared to the, the distances you've crossed. Mm. Uh, but they take up more of your time, obviously. Yeah, there's long stretches where you're just traveling and those are just as memorable as, um, the like, uh, environments that you reach, the kind of upgrade stations and the like puzzle areas and stuff like that. Mm. Like, I think quite early on, there's just, it's got a kind of day night cycle thing. It's scripted, but, um, at one point you just go through a long night where nothing is really going on and you're just tending your boiler. Hmm. And it's, for me at least, it was uh, uh, really memorable. Uh, and then you come out of that into dawn and the wind picks up and you unfurl your sails mm-hmm. and uh, I want to be a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds lovely. Yeah. Sounds great. When Who it made well. it? It's the Okamoto people. <laughs> Which I guess they've yes. done this. <laughs> I think this is their first um, project because um, mm. they named their company after the vehicle in the game so it feels like a startup for this that's um, just really prescient yeah <laughs> our second game is going to be about <laughs> but i mean knowing how the indie industry works they're probably all x bioshock anyway. <laughs> <laughs> just statistically it's yeah. likely yeah exactly um i was uh, i saw this before release and i thought it looked beautiful i saw like a trailer for it um and i even like tweeted about it before it came out i think and then it came out um and i didn't sort of notice for a while or um I didn't see any buzz about it. I didn't see anyone talking about it except me. Um, mm. And then I, you know, finally got around to playing it when you, John, mentioned you were going to be talking about it mm. um, just today. And so I was suddenly worried of like, when I played it, I realized, oh my God, this is like, you know, beautiful. And it's like, maybe not a hundred percent of the level of polish that Inside has, but like pretty damn close. It's incredibly mm. beautifully made and just like looks gorgeous and everything about it is is lovingly crafted. Um, and I suddenly had this like horrible thing of like, shit, if this game didn't do well, then I really am roid. Uh, so I quickly checked it's no Steam Spy, of course, but I went to the store page and it has like 1000 reviews already. <laughs> so oh, cool. Okay. It's done fine. <laughs> yeah. There's no way I failed. So that's far loan sales, far loan sales. And that's, <laughs> this is petty, but it does slightly bother me. It's got one of those kind of colon titles and it's really awkward <laughs> to say. And like, that's one thing that, Limbo and Inside did well. It's just like, our game is super simple and bared down. The title is going to be super simple and bared down. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of 
single word, just mm. together done titles. <laughs> no colons. I, I, I'm willing to bet they wanted to call it far and far was already taken. I don't know mm. by what, mm. but I wonder if they tried calling it loan sales because they don't know anything called that. And that's quite a nice name. Hmm. I really like it. <laughs> and you've done a good job of expressing that without, without, <laughs> without murdering it to pieces. With this all you need to, you, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I think you just, just it's all in the chuffing, right? It's all in the chuffing. <laughs> all that sound, you have to hear it. It's amazing. <laughs> I actually really I, want to now. Now I don't know whether I've got the sound. I've, I've left it late enough by accident that like orange sparks come out the back when mm. I, when I steam vented. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering if there's something wrong with me, Doctor. <laughs> but no. I don't remember if I heard something. If chuffing lasts for more than six hours. <laughs> Good. What have you been playing, Tom? Uh, I've also been playing Dicey Dungeons, which is a game from Terry Kavanagh, who did V and super hexagon. Uh, he also did a whole shitload of other stuff, but um, I learned that Dicey Dungeons is going to be only his third commercial game. He's decided huh. it will be a commercial game, and this is what he's chosen. Um, he started making it for the Seven Day Roguelike, and then uh, which was in March, I think, um, and then he's just carried on with it, releasing free builds on that you just play in your browser. Um, and he's at some point he's going to stop releasing those and start, you know. Uh, adding stuff to it that it will only go in the retail version um but it is very simple uh pared down dungeon crawler where the combat is based on dice and the way it's the way it works is uh there are various classes but if you pick warrior uh your most basic ability is a sword and uh you'll roll i think you only roll one dice to begin with and uh, one die <laughs> um and the sword just has like one slot for a dice to go into it and you roll one dice and then you can plug it into that sword and how whatever you roll that's how much damage you do and then after you've done that the sword goes away for the rest of your turn um and initially you might have like the sword and a shield and if in the shield you put the dice in it and it does that much defense so on their turn that's how much of their damage you'll negate um but then if you're the thief uh you have a dagger and that again only has one dice slot but it can only take the dice if it rolled a three or less. So mm. if you roll a four, it's just no good to you at all. Can't do anything with it. Um, if you roll, but the advantage of the dagger is it doesn't go away when you use it. It can be used as many times as you like on your turn. So once you get more dice, you get like, I think you just get one new dice every time you level up. So when you level one, you have one dice huh. and you roll that every turn. When you level three, you're rolling three dice every turn. And you know, if you're the warrior with just one sword, that's not really an advantage. Obviously you get to pick the best value, but you can't use the other two for anything if you don't have any other equipment. But if you're the thief, when you've got three dice, and if they're all on three or under, you can put them all in your dagger and do that much damage again and again. Um, and as you progress, you find new equipment and you get to decide which ones you equip and which ones you, um, leave behind. Um, you can equip sort of like maybe four things at once. Um, and some of them do stuff like, so because the thief actually does better with low values rather than high values, uh, one of their starting pieces of equipment, um, once per turn, they can split a dice. So you put a six in there and you won't necessarily get two threes. You might get a two and a four or you might get a one and a five or whatever. Um, it's random what the combination you get, but it will split into two and they'll obviously they'll be lower. Um, and then you're, you know, more likely to be able to use that in your dagger, which is good. And a lot of their other stuff will also take low values, but then you get other things like this, 
this ability will like poison the enemy, but you have to put two dice in it and they must total seven. Doesn't matter what combination there is, as long as they add up to seven. Um, or other ones where it'll take any dice as long as it's odd. Um, or there's the spiked shield for the warrior where if you put an even number into it, it does that much damage. If you put an odd number into it, it puts, does that much block. Hmm. And then there's a grip for the shield where you, however much you've put into it as block, you deal that much damage. Mm. Um, so lots of little clever things like that. It is uh, obviously inspired by Slay the Spire um, because uh, it lifts a few things from it directly. Um, uh, most importantly for me, the poison mechanic, which I love in Slay the Spire, <laughs> where if you do one poison to an enemy, it does one damage. Um, if you do two poison, it does two damage this turn and one damage next turn, and then it's gone. If you do three, then it's three damage this turn, two damage next turn, etc., etc. Mm. And that stacks. So um, when you when someone's already got a lot of poison, adding one poison to them actually is a huge deal because it's going to do you know, um, that much more damage. Um, and making poison builds in this is really fun. Uh, and it's much more... Uh, it was a real breath of fresh air after playing Slay the Spire a lot, which I have. Mm. Uh, because Slay the Spire, you, you get really excited about these builds you want to do, and the game just doesn't give you the cards. Mm. Just, you do not get ever offered the card you need um, in in a given run. Mm. Um, you know, you have great runs where they, it gives you everything you need, and you have some runs where there was just no way to ever make this build work. Um, and this is much more... Well, there's just less uh, equipment in it, uh, which is its equivalent of cards. Uh, so there's, you're going to find everything pretty much for the class that you, you play. Um, and so you, you find stuff that works really well together. And so you get that satisfying, oh, my build all works together and it, it pays off, um, much quicker and much more reliably. Of course, the downside of that is that it's, uh, currently has a lot less longevity. You know, I've now kind of, feel like I don't really want to play the thief again. <laughs> I've kind mm. of figured that build out. Um, Does it become reliable? Yeah. And I, you, that's kind of why Slay the Spire doesn't like, you know, is so random and, and they presumably don't see that as a problem that they need to fix because mm. they want you to sort of be jonesing for that, that sweet run where you get all the stuff, but you can't have it every time or it won't be special. Um, I'd be interested to know what Terry's plans are for this, whether they, he wants it to feel more random or whether it's intentional that it's kind of reliable. Right now, actually, the, the reliability of it is not a problem. It's not a big problem. Um, it's biggest problem right now is, um, you do get unlucky, uh, sometimes, and it's not because the game involves so much randomness that there's no way to ever solve this problem. It's because there are just certain mechanics that, that haven't quite been thought through, uh, you know, fully balanced because, you know, this is a super pre-alpha thing. Uh, but that, so there's an enemy, a snowman enemy, and the snowman has like four different uh, everything's called equipment. So it has four different pieces of equipment and they're all just throw a snowball at you. And a snowball does one damage and freezes one dice. And he can pretty reliably throw two snowballs at you. And so if you have two dice, he freezes both your dice. A frozen dice can't be used for anything. So you just can't do anything. <laughs> so I just like, when I had a snowman with only two dice, I was only level two. Uh, it was just game over, but it was going to take like 25 turns for it to slowly <laughs> kill me without me having, ever having the chance to do I'm anything at all. In the <laughs> <laughs> Fucking freeze. <laughs> um, so that obviously just, it just feels like a balance issue that needs to be, uh, figured out because there wasn't a lot I could have done to avoid that. Mm. You know, you can't, you can't choose to level up before you go and fight that. The only way you can level up is by fighting his enemies. You get a little bit of choice about where to go and who to fight first, but uh, not that much. Um, does it have a visual layer? Sorry? Have a, does it have art? 
Yes. Is it pretty? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Terry's done all the art himself. He's currently looking for an artist. Um, and yeah, so I think he's going to uh, get it tarted up, which it does kind of need. <laughs> it's got like, you are just literally a dice with legs and arms. <laughs> I uh, I played a tiny amount of it, like 10 minutes, because I, I played enough of it to realize, like, oh, I've got work to do this week. <laughs> I'm going to do something else. Um, but I do, did love his placeholder music. Yes. It's like MIDI knockoff versions of pop songs. Yeah, from but- the 80s. I think I caught Careless Whisper for an entire run. Like, <laughs> there's a certain sort of, like... This has to be free currently. <laughs> yeah. Sort of thing about it. But yeah. He, he actually tweeted that... Um, uh, you know, he's looking for an artist, but he's uh, he's already found a really exciting musician, and I really hope it's Hadaway. <laughs> oh yeah, that was Sorry, it was, yeah. Title music is what is love at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> if it does end up being, it, I believe, knowing Terry, I think he could make that happen. <laughs> if he wanted it enough, it, this could be the Hadaway collab that we've been waiting for. I can only hope. Where there's a will. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really simple, really easy to play, and it's just free in your browser for now. Um, and I think uh, there's a new build probably out by the time you listen to this, because I think last time I checked, it was like two days' time. He's um, doing pretty regular builds, um, and we can put a link to that in show notes. Mm. It'd be nice to actually be able to link to an actual playable game. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been playing, Chris? So uh, on a whim, I've been playing... Uh, Totally Accurate Battlegrounds, hmm. uh, which is by uh, Landfall, a uh, Swedish developer. They made Cluster Truck, and they're currently making hmm. Totally Accurate Battle Simulator, which uh, sort of looks like it's a tactics game, and it looks a little bit like the sort of love child of like Mountain Blade and Besiege. Hmm. The one about the sort yeah. of like the one about is technically about making trebuchets, but it's really about making a, a big uh, procedural dick robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so apparently every year for the last couple of years, they've made an April Fool's game. So this is the April Fool's game and it's out in June. <laughs> and it's, Fucking game developers. Can't hit deadlines. Better than it has any right to be. <laughs> so what they've said is they've put this out as uh, a, a parody. Like, you know, they've said, we're not going to support this much. We made this because we've been playing PUBG at lunchtime <laughs> as we just made this. But it's embarrassing how much better it is than you'd expect with that in mind. Um so as a top level, I would describe it as uh, PUBG or Fortnite meets Gang Beasts, hmm. uh, which is a very good idea that someone <laughs> should have had already, except it is a first-person shooter. So not like Gang Beasts in terms of, you know, running around isometric, punching people. I mean, Gang Beasts in terms of uh, physics. So it's, it uses the same sort of art style and physics and characters as Totally Accurate Battle Simulator. Everybody are these sort of like, um, sort of... Uh, uh, sort of procedurally animated, uh, sort of very floaty, sort of puppety, sort of spindly, physicsy weirdos. And you can, you know, they, they, uh, basically don't appear to be very interested in making money from this. So, uh, unfortunately, by the time you listen to this, it'll probably cost $5, but currently it's free. And they, mm-hmm. they made it free for the first hundred hours, basically. And that might overlap slightly with Friday. So if you listen to this right after we put it up, it might still be <laughs> free. Um, and the money they're taking for it, they're basically saying it's just to keep the servers going because they, you know, uh, they have no interest in, I think, updating it after this. Maybe a few patches to get it working, which is nuts because it's been a hugely popular. And <laughs> I've been trying to play it all day, and I've maybe played three full games. And in that time, there's been so many problems because it's just collapsed <laughs> under demand. Basically, because bizarrely, they've made something really charming. And I say bizarrely, but like, if 
you, I mean, you guys have been in this position before. You made a joke version of the game you're actually making <laughs> to sort of poke fun at the genre that is big at the moment, right? Like, haha, we made a Battlegrounds game, except they actually fucking did. <laughs> so, um, so you were these sort of, uh, floaty, physics-y, uh, floaty people. Um, and the crucial thing about it is everything is, is driven by physics. So the environment doesn't say the environments are very physically, they're not destructible or anything, but you know what you were saying about battlefield and the fact that, you know, you can now shoot while you're doing anything. Mm. This game takes that quite seriously. Like everything is a physical object in the world. Of course you can see your own legs and things like that. Guns, you pick up are physical objects that are in your hands. There's no kind of UI for that at all. You are, if you are looking down a scope, that scope is physically on the gun mm. and your ability to aim it is based on your ability to kind of wobble it in front of your eyes. And it's, <laughs> it's actually not that hard for that reason, but uh, recoil is a, a, a real and powerful thing and it will knock you over <laughs> and it doesn't have any, you know, every, the reason, and so, you know, physics games or floating games can feel sort of inaccurate and it certainly does, but the thing that ties it all together is when you push a button, something happens. So if you're leaping through the air and you go prone, you just fall the fuck over <laughs> and they've got good animations so having to like roll around and get back up again. You can uh, leap into a crouch. You can jump for some reason. Uh, if you press G, you will hold your gun sideways and start beatboxing quite loudly. <laughs> um, and you can do this from any move into any other move. And there's a slight, uh, I don't, uh, there'll be an animator word for this. John might be able to help me, but like, there's like, you know, there's a sort of, there's sort of inertia on everything you do. So when you're bringing guns to bear or just sort of walking around, your limbs are always kind of like, interpolating possibly mm. like you know you're always moving in a really dynamic kind of floaty fun way and so for some reason it feels like amazing <laughs> like it's sort of like uh, it reminds me a bit of like it's sort of like the opposite of super hot in a weird way but in a way that's more appropriate to multiplayer where super mm. hot gave you such fine control over the position of every single thing in the environment that it made you feel like super accurate mm. and it was a huge power fantasy going you know, into a gunfight against these predictable AI opponents when you are more accurate than you could ever be in a normal shooter. This is the exact opposite in that it's a, like, calamity. <laughs> like, everything is calamity all of the time. And everyone's dealing with that at the same time. So it's not like... Uh, so it doesn't feel like PUBG does, for example, where, like, a stray bullet takes you out of the game immediately. A gunfight is just a fucking mess. And there is, there's enough skill to doing it properly that there's an element of, like... You know, fighting your way through it feels funny, but it's, or sorry, feels, feels good, but it's so funny the rest of the time. Like, it's fun to drop into a really busy area at the start because it's just a scramble to find guns, to try and reload them. You see people like flopping through windows in this sort of awkward <laughs> way. Like, it's very, you know, it's collision detection is pretty spot on. And so if you can sort of like fling your awkward ragdolly body <laughs> through something to kind of crawl away, people like leaping through the air, then going prone to avoid a rocket and then being picked up by the explosion of the rocket, just sort of spinning through the air. But they might not be dead. They'll just sort of roll to a halt somewhere else. <laughs> Um, all of that feels really, really, really nice. Um, and there's, um, and there's shit loads of guns in it. It has like every sort of modern counter-strike weapon you can imagine, including all of the guns from PUBG and then some, wow. it has shit loads of like world war two weaponry. It has old school flintlock weapons, has muskets. It has, Is this, um, uh, I don't know much about total realistic battle simulator, but with, do you think they just kind of ported all this over from that? I think so, because that game also like spans a lot of different time periods. Right. It has melee weapons and swords and, and things like that. It has crossbows, um, 
like, and then, and it has like this huge collection of grenades. So you have like a regular grenade. Um, and I might, I might have to tell some stories from it because there's a better way of illustrating it, but you get like a grenade that's like a bundle of arrows attached to some explosives and you fire it and then it shoots up into the air and then it fires arrows down. So it's like an anti-taking cover grenade. It has an implosion grenade and then a push grenade. Uh, it has, um, like the sort of shrapnel grenade from Team Fortress basically in, in a, in one form or another. It has that kind of like just every idea thrown at the wall mm. sort of thing. Um, it has a grenade that makes a wall. Uh, like you plant it and it grows out of the ground in front of so you. Like you throw your cover. ideas at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so, uh, and also, uh, because they, they don't, there's no microtransactions, you have full access to sort of character customization from the start. So by default, you're just this sort of like weird sock man, kind of <laughs> spindly armed sock dude. And you can randomize your look or put different clothes on. Um, and so my character has a full wizard's beard and is smoking a little pipe with a big wizard's <laughs> hat on. He's a wizard, basically, but in like a bathrobe, but completely naked under the bathrobe, and it's completely open at the front. He doesn't have genitals, so it's not. <laughs> but I look like a sort of like a sort of like surf bomb, sort of Gandalf. Um, uh, I did think of the phrase. Uh, tactless beach wizard but I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to throw that at you just, you know um and um and so yeah and then there's those little weird touches are still quite cool so it's got a, a dumb map basically like they've just given up on naming some places there's like industry which is a big factory area and next to that is industry forest and there's a place called chaos where they've just taken a normal town's worth of buildings and put them in a big pile and a lot of them are upside down <laughs> like um it, you know it, it has this air of like we didn't fucking try and yet it's annoyingly good um you ride in at the start rather than being in a plane, you ride in on the com on the convoy of flying trucks from cluster truck. <laughs> and then when you deploy, instead of like parachuting, you're shot like a rocket in like a random direction and you can sort of steer yourself in the air like Superman, but you're, you're falling and you just have to kind of like crash into the ground. And when you, based on the angle of your descent, you do then roll like, you, you know, it's not this sort of accurate landing and this huge plume of smoke comes up where you land. So you can see what other players are landing and people like flinging themselves like rockets into the environment. Um, and then it's version of the circle that contracts and pushes you in is a wall. And the way it works is, uh, as the wall shrink, as it shrinks, these obelisks fly in from the edge of the map, vast kind of things. It's got this sort of like pastel, sort of low, uh, low detail texture, but quite nice art style. Mm. They fly in and then they rise up in the air and they slam into the ground and you can hear it everywhere. And then they sort of spawn more obelisks sideways until they complete the wall. And then they will then spawn another set of obelisks that then come in and shrink it further. And so you can be in a situation where you're sprinting to try and you know, you've maybe, you're, you're, you're lagging behind the obelisks, but if you can make it through the gap between them before they close mm, off, you can yeah. kind of get into the next zone. Um, and like the first time I played it, I, I did what I would normally do in PUBG and landed sort of somewhere remote and I ended up coming second. Uh, I came second basically only because I didn't know what an implosion grenade did <laughs> and, uh, killed myself, uh, it, it, with, with one. But I was, I got one of my first gunfight and it was against a team. It does, it's, it, they don't give a shit about balance really. So if you are queuing with your mates as a group, you get matched with people who are playing solo. Like it's not fair necessarily. My first little encounter was with two people and right at the beginning of the game, I'd found this like big red minigun, but I'd never fired it. I just had it and I had a rifle and I managed to down one of them with my rifle. And then the other one was pinning me down. So I was like, okay, well it's time for the big red minigun, <laughs> except the big red minigun. The, uh, I didn't realize this. It's, in, it's intent. It's not, it's a gun. 
the recoil on it is so severe it's basically a jetpack <laughs> and so i just start flying backwards like, faster and i fly backwards so fast i go back out of the circle so I just, and i have to like propel myself into the air and i can just imagine and obviously this is all physicsy, so i can just imagine this other player watching me shoot backwards <laughs> fly up into the air and then come all the way around and land behind them kill the guy on the ground with the gun that doesn't shoot me through time basically and then kill the other guy and it is just this sort of like madcap um extremely silly like mm. it's it's more fun because you know it, I imagine if you're really into accurate shooters it's probably quite frustrating but it's more fun because it's such a mess basically mm. um but the big downside today was that um and actually uh you know it's it's had server problems all day and there's been lots of different kinds of server problems from it simply refusing to put you in a game to it putting you in a game, but the game never filling up and therefore never starting. It's 40 players rather than the sort of PUBG 100. Mm. Um, it does like, it loads you into the map and you can run around with no weapons or anything. And then it starts. Um, and then, uh, to the thing that kept happening to me, which is heartbreaking where it starts the game, but not for every single person who's connected. So you watch a lot of people disappear and some people just left behind. Um, but what this resulted in is a game I played most of the afternoon where I, a sort of, most semi-nude wizard man would just go up to people while waiting to join into a game and start beatboxing and start tapping the crouch key to the beat and so i start bouncing up and down like like and um having a good time and just watching people get into it as well and you can type you can ta- you can chat in game and it appears as a speech bubble above your head and your character goes like and it just became like it was just sort of almost pure even though it was because the game didn't work and a few people were like <laughs> one guy said this game hasn't got any players and i was like i think you'll find that it does and started beatboxing <laughs> and like bouncing up and down again <laughs> and he said lol and then he disconnected and, <laughs> but though like i haven't had uh, that kind of interaction with a strange to play game for quite a while like purely positive in mm-hmm. that um he left immediately. Like, uh, <laughs> it's the most positive interaction you can have with the game. But like, genuinely, like, I, so I think it's server difficulties and the fact that the developers have openly made it as a joke and don't intend to support it. Mm. Both mean that I don't know if I would necessarily recommend people play it. Like, what I would like to happen is for it to become like a cult hit that they then almost have to support and therefore it'd be worth people's $5. Cause like, you know, I would certainly, I, I probably had $5 worth of fun out of it so far, to be honest. But if there are no players left by the weekend, or if it just doesn't work, then it's obviously not worth it. There is a, yeah, sorry. Sounds like uh, it's going to have plenty of players. Because uh, like Total Re- Realistic Battle Simulator is big enough that I've heard of it without sort of, you know, seeking it out or anything. Like, it, um, I think that's uh, a pretty big hit. And not, obviously, this is a winning combination. Um, but yeah, if they, if they just don't want to make it, that could be a problem. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of, it feels like they've accidentally, like, they've just sort of done a Fortnite on the, <laughs> mm. on the, on the down low. And yeah, maybe that's a bit of a danger for indie devs. Like, don't do this if you really want to make something else. <laughs> yeah. That, that, as you say, that was a problem with our April Fools that you did, John, for Gunpoint, where we turned it into a, uh, you know, third First person, person cover shooter. <laughs> cover shooter. And, uh, that by itself, like on paper, that sounds like, oh, that's a really bad idea. It'll be really funny. But then, uh, the style you did was like sprites kind of, you know, uh, snapping to 3D crates and stuff. And it mm. just looks so cool. <laughs> Everyone's like, I want to play this. I'm like, shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's, uh, I, I hope, you know, I hope it is a success because I just sort of immediately super 
charmed by it and it, it's almost like it's got helicopters in it. it's got working <laughs> helicopters and and muscle cars um does it have that um frustration that jelly baby wrestling gang beasts, gang beasts. Gang beasts. <laughs> um i have with that in that i can identify something that i want to do and just be so fucked up by the controls and the physics that it's incredibly frustrating for me not really it's it's different to game beast in that you kind of fall over when you want to fall over like right. you have to press z to fall over much like you must press g okay to begin beatboxing um i should stress the first time i fired the big red minigun i also pressed g to fire it sideways um, so i did stop beatboxing and then flying away <laughs> which is a power play really <laughs> it's like i don't want to i don't wish to be part of this fight goodbye you can also like you know rocket jump with shotguns and things which is mm. nice I wonder, it actually sounds a little bit close to Sub Rosa, um, mm. uh, game by Alex Austin, which is long, been in development, uh, where everything's extremely physics-y. There are no canned animations, I think, for walking. It's all, ev- like, as you're walking, you are physically simulated. And to do a cool, like, somersault, you must run forwards, press space to jump, and then move your mouse down so that, uh, you, you know, rotating your view will actually physically rotate your character. And if you get it slightly wrong, you'll land on your ass <laughs> or your head. Um, and uh, the difference is that one is, is uh, it's not trying to do a battle royale thing. It's, it, as far as I know, it seems to be a sort of simulator for tense, uh, like gang deals, sort of trading briefcases and hostages and things and uh, multiplayer. Yeah, um, and everyone's kind of got a, figure out whether they're going to betray um, mm. each other and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, that's been going down that physically route for a long time. This feels more like, it's not like hard to control. It feels more like you're controlling like a point above your character's head that you're sort of holding <laughs> and you sort of like drag it around and the character <laughs> sort of follows um, and you control their arms as well. And like you can shoot accurately if you, you know, if you try, it's mm. just often hard because it's silly. Like, mm-hmm. there's, you know, and the environment's kind of get in your way. But the silliness and the inaccuracy of the guns, I think, it's a testament to the fact that, like, inaccuracy can be fun, actually. Maybe this is reflects to the, <laughs> the battle of the conversation. Like, it's, it's more fun to be in a mad m- sort of melee in that game than I think it is in PUBG because everyone's sort of in the same boat. Mm. Like, I mean, it's probably wildly open to botting and stuff. And if you bot this game, then I think there's sort of no saving you. <laughs> yeah. It's fun, really. Uh, but it, that sort of, like, the slapstick of it means that you don't you know you you miss constantly but so does everyone else so you're not getting sort of like frustrated it's just daft and there's a sort of element of like um not necessarily survival of the fittest but there's a sort of it's, it's a great equalizer the fact that everyone's falling over all the time and flopping along on their bellies and mm. sort of rolling around it's making me think back um in the days of modern warfare multiplayer mm. i played um that on 360 and pc and i infinitely infinitely pre- preferred uh, the 360 version <laughs> because pads are shitter mm. and it was harder to shoot specifically in the counter-strike sense of shooting where you snipe someone in the head across the whole map mm. and um encounters are very very brief and very and highly accurate whereas on uh, the console, everything was just mad. And you'd do, have people sprinting across open terrain and everyone would be like firing as they went and bullets ricocheting everywhere because you weren't particularly accurate and stuff like mm. that. It felt like a good solution to having um, like lethal weapons that felt good and impactful, but also having prolonged, interesting firefights. Yeah. And mm. they've solved that with Jelly Baby. <laughs> 
Yeah, of roping, je- of roping wizards. Jelly baby yeah. floppy men. Yeah. This is a slight deviation, but does anyone know if TF2 on the consoles ever got updated? Did it ever get any sure. new content or anything? I think so. Because I remember it was like, you know, most of the time, well, I think all the time I was following that game and, you know, playing all the new updates, I think for all of that time, the console version was literally just the vanilla launch thing. Um, and it's, I think it's a testament to, to how much they did add in those updates and how good those updates were that looking at that was so sad for me. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> the idea of these people playing in the, in the, version with like no new weapons and no uh, no like five maps or whatever it had at launch um and just the hats you're given yeah <laughs> yeah the, the hat that's glued to your head <laughs> um yeah it was uh, there, there were loads of people on pc sort of crying out for like oh you've ruined it with like the piss jars and stuff <laughs> and i want the the traditional experience and i wonder if those people you know fired it up on console <laughs> <laughs> oh shit this is actually really dull Other good thing, move final good thing, but totally accurate battlegrounds is, um, you can punch very quickly. You can punch basically as fast as you can click when you don't have weapon (laughs) equipped. Um, semi auto punch. (laughs) Um, and, uh, but when you punch, as far as I can tell, your fist comes from from like any random direction on the top half of your body. (laughs) And, uh, you alternate hands if you are punching rapidly, which means that you're constantly doing like, it's not just, Left hook, right hook, left hook, right hook. Sometimes it's like left and then a different upper left arm, <laughs> <laughs> which is, uh, again, just, and it's actually animating this in third person as well. It's just, your arms are just sort of flailing around and coming from weird angles. Um, but watching two people attempt to punch each other to death at the beginning of the game is brilliant. It's just, it's just this sort of, um, and yeah, like I, I did that to somebody and managed to like, uh, punch him until he was knocked down at which point I know oh he's got a teammate and then I look up and a guy shoots me in the chest with a sawn off shotgun which doesn't kill me but like picks me up in the air and just throws me <laughs> to a river and it's like which is you know that's a good moment in PUBG when something like that happens but that's the end of the game whereas this it's just a sort of another setback you know, <laughs> yeah I think if like I don't like dying early in it because if you die early you risk at the moment you run the gauntlet of its server issues again to get another game. But if it were running perfectly, then honestly, like I might, I might genuinely just play it all day. <laughs> like very impressed. Do you have health? Yeah. Okay. You get, you can pick up health kits. There are attachments for guns. You can get laser sights to the mount that it'll help you. <laughs> like, uh, it's got, so uh, hilariously. So because it's, um, it's weapons of physical objects in the game and you can get like an AWP sniper rifle and then fit it with the, extended barrel which makes it like a good six feet long at which point like it's a physical object in the game if you're going around a corner you might have to go all the way around the corner before you can get the awp like you have you ever seen like one of those videos of like a dog with a stick in its mouth trying to get through a gate and not understanding why it can't get through the gate because it fits like you get that situation where you can't like you know it's not like other shooters where the gun is just uh a, you know, a, a visual thing that you are looking at but doesn't actually exist in the world. Like, guns can't clip through walls in this game because you go up to the wall to try and shoot over it and your gun gets sort of, like, bangs against it. And then you, <laughs> um, you can put your gun underneath someone else's gun and lift it up to lift <laughs> their gun into the air. <laughs> Why are you shooting the sky? Why are you shooting the sky? <laughs> yeah. um, which also works with the melee weapons, which, if it wasn't so silly, would be the basis for, like, quite a robust mm. melee combat system. You can get sort of, like, full-body shields and things that you can run around behind and... Man, it's great. Why did they make this by accident as a yeah. joke? Like, I suspect all of them are looking at like how fun it is and the numbers it's doing versus the absolute clusterfuck that is their code. Yeah. Just going, <laughs> oh shit. <Ooh. laughs> 
Yeah, actually, I think maybe this is a brave new world for indie marketing. Say you made it as a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Always go with that. Like, we were making this other game, but we made this by accident. Even if it took you three years or whatever, just say that. And then if people like it, then great. And if they don't like it, then <laughs> that's I mean, I, you know, my PR consultancy rates are, you know, <laughs> Well, uh, jokes on you because <laughs> i didn't mean it as a real game <laughs> yeah basically i'm trying to implement sort of uh takesy backsies <laughs> um into this ecosystem what else have people been playing i played a bit of pillars of Eternity to dead fire excellent i'd love to play that but for reasons i described on the last podcast can't <laughs> <laughs> um yes it's uh very good and I think I'd have quite a hard time describing it because there's so much of it. Mm. What is dead and on fire in it? Uh, it refers to... It's a place, isn't it? Yeah, an archipelago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a word. No, it is. No, it no. is. It's just it's just funny to me that, like, it could be anything in a fantasy <laughs> setting and, like, you just span the wheel of nouns. And it came out, like, it went from, like, fortress, ancient pact, ancient evil, mm. this magical spell, uh, secret cult, and then it landed on archipelago like bing 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 bing. <laughs> actually technically it's a peninsula <laughs> it's not um yeah that's it's setting in this um uh chain of islands which in which uh quite a fun colonial um <laughs> as opposed yeah. to the bad colonial <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm a white englishman yeah. um uh storyline is playing out where um all these trading companies coming over and trying to harvest the natural resources and all the that uh, native um, tribes of various development are um, resisting that and then you get stuck in it because uh, a huge god inhabited a statue underneath your castle and um, walked off killing you uh, and that that's a good reason to go on adventure <laughs> fair enough because you need to chase him down um, yeah it's great and much like my other sailor game uh, you get to be a captain of a pirate ship or just mm. a normal ship uh, which is its kind of uh, unique thing this time around. You get to uh, uh, manage your ship and find crew and assign um, cannons of varying um, specificity. So, like, you load up um, your long-range guns on your port side and your short-range guns on your starboard side uh, and then play through. Uh, its ship combat game reminds me... Uh, it works quite well. It's kind of this turn-based, um, multiple choice kind of game. Uh, there's a turn order and you'll choose to do things like, um, like go full speed ahead to try and close the distance to get within effective mm. range of your cannons. Uh, then obviously swerve to, uh, port or starboard to bring those guns in line with the enemy ship and jibing, which is a 180, which brings the other guns back in line. And depending on the size and, class of your ship these various actions take a little longer it's that aspect of it is kind of weirdly x-wing miniatures <laughs> like this there's almost a uh, it's all done by text but there's this sense of phys- physical space and um facing is very important mm. and those kind of things i just made an interested noise <laughs> <laughs> i really want to play this why do i feel compelled to play pills of eternity from the start yeah you you don't have to <laughs> but i do john do you carry a character over, or is it yeah. just total fresh start? Um, you do, I think. In fiction, it's the same character, but you're reset to level one, I think, whether huh. you import it or not. Um, but that means I have to. <laughs> it's the same reason I never played The Witcher, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Shit. All right, well, that's 
July sorted. Rather than just playing the new game, you'll not play the game at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the burden would be too great to play both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's got the familiar combat system that anyone who's ever played an Infinity game or their spiritual successes will be familiar with that real time with pause, um, mm. like setting your, uh, tanks off first and then firing up your spellcasters to do. Just bottleneck uh, skeletons all day. Every basically, day. yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, I think it's less, they toned down the difficulty a little bit from the first one, which is quite a challenging game. Mm. And you had to, I found I had to play it at half speed, even when I wasn't pausing. Uh, like every half second counts, you have to get, mm. um, all your character's abilities firing off at uh, optimal points uh, in the first one, I think. They're, they've got a difficulty slider. You can dial it way down if that's not particularly interesting to you. Uh, but in this first one, I mean, in, in the second one, it's uh, a little more relaxed. And you can just steamroll through um, a few enemies, leave it up to the quite good AI system. Uh, mm. It's like the uh, they had this um, barely... Programmable is a scary word, uh, but reactive yeah. AI. Uh, so you just say things like, if your health is less than 20%, drink a potion. Or, uh, But they get a little more advantage, uh, a little more um, complex. Like, if you could land an AOE on three people or more, huh. use this big one. Oh, that's cool. Uh, which is quite fun. And um, it functions to the point where I've just totally ignored it. Like, <laughs> you guys can just do whatever you want. I'm going to... Uh, uh, min-max my, my wizard character and you guys can just do whatever and I'm, that's getting me through all the encounters and it's quite fun. Mm. That's, this is actually a better use of my tactical beach wizards pun <laughs> than, <laughs> yes. than the, the use is. I found for it. Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to figure out if I can make a game about practical beach lizards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's doable. Like that could be like a, they brought their towel, they got their sunscreen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're all good. Oh, oh, I see. So not like maybe like, I was thinking more of a kind of survivor, like kind of angle where like mm, that could work. building beach huts and, mm. you know, demonstrating practical skills and also shedding. <laughs> uh, they're having uh, a lot of fun with their quest design. Uh, there's kind of a hitman type quest. Ooh, I'm listening. To <laughs> infiltrate a pirate fort and you can do that in uh, a number of ways. Um, like your classic combat talky or sneaky, but then much more refined versions within that. Uh, and then you can just talk your way into like the final encounter and beat up who you're there to kill, or you can, uh, go full hitman and kind of engineer a catastrophic series of events that will lead to his death, huh. uh, which is fun. And that's like one quest among many. Um, that's news. Hitman 2. There's a logo for it. It's a thing. <laughs> Did you see this? No. Okay. Is that it? I think uh, yeah, that, that's it. It's, it's a, I think it's a leak, maybe. But yeah, that there is an official logo for Hitman 2, uh, which, you know, previously we've been thinking there would be a season 2 of Hitman. This is probably that, but they're calling it Hitman 2. How did the previous one leave you? Um, it was really good in the end. Um, Sapienza was brilliant. Um, I actually think the last mission they did, Tokyo... Oh, no, wait. A Japanese one. Um, Hokkaido, um, was one of the best. I think that was probably second best after Sapienza. Um, and yeah, though, like, 
I think Paris is one of my least favorite in the whole series, and they started with that one, which mm. is so that my help, my journey with the series has been really weird because I was totally put off by it at first, and then, um, uh, yeah, kind of ended up really liking it. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff I don't like about the the contract system is just it's just a, the barest hint of a really cool thing that they could do and they haven't done, mm. um, and I, its whole rating system is bad it's just about did you do silent assassin or, or did you fail <laughs> like it's so antithetical to everything else about the game which is more about creative expression and trying all these different tactics and stuff then the rating screen just says you did it wrong you didn't do silent assassin um mm. which is but that's a fairly minor thing the, the levels are amazing like the size of the environments and the, the stuff you can do in them is is great and also they kind of loosened up a little bit the um Colorado mission I actually really liked uh, just because it was way more forgiving than the others mm. you can just you can kind of be anywhere in it and there are loads of different ways of there, there are loads of different targets and there are loads different ways of taking them out um, and the, the time I really like at least is when it's most restrictive which is Paris where just both targets have at least two bodyguards on them at all times and not spend 95% of their time in the in direct line of sight of like 20 other people mm. and yes you can get them out of that situation but only by using the pre-scripted opportunities which i don't really love doing because it's kind of just doing what the designer told you to do so if hitman 2 doesn't do those things <laughs> yeah i don't know what they'll do because i don't know if they i don't know if my criticisms are actually that widespread and, mm. and whether you know the problem with these things is always like people will talk about whether they liked the opportunity system just in general and the I don't have an opinion on that overall. On the Paris level, it was, um, I didn't like the level because it relied on the opportunity system. On Sapienza, I loved it. And the fact that there's opportunities in it is great because it's just added bonuses in addition to all the other ways you can mm. do the level. Um, and so I don't know on what kind of like granularity they process that kind of feedback, whether, um, whether they know, whether they, people in general agree with my criticisms and uh, whether that got through to the developers. I think they'll probably just do more of the same because it was basically successful. You know, it's really well regarded. Good. I'm glad that it's happening though, particularly with the, you know, like IO's uncertainty. And yeah. Like that. It's nice to, I think it's sort of indie, right? They, yeah. They, sort of, they own the rights and they're doing it themselves. Yeah. So good for them. And I really Really, really want to play Pillars of Eternity Dreadfire. <laughs> if only I didn't have to play a 200, 300 hour RPG before I was allowed to play it. <laughs> First one you can, uh, burn through in maybe 40 hours. <laughs> that is, that is not an amount of time I describe <laughs> yeah. as burning through. <laughs> 80 hours of the first one and didn't finish it. Really? Okay. Yeah. I am very thorough. <laughs> and they added that thing where you can click on people and then see like a kind of dream vignette memory oh, yeah. thing, yeah. flash sideways character, Kickstarter backer piece <laughs> of fiction. And so I read all them. And that takes a long time. That's gone. You'll oh. save, you'll save a few hours on your. Okay. Well, that means I definitely have to read all the ones in the first game. <laughs> <laughs> Savor it. I love, does love reading. I heard about books. <laughs> um, but you you don't get to also do maths in a book I found i think i'd actually quite like you to um play it and talk about their use of language in it which mm. is a little odd um in the first one it feels like they are they're trying to do a tolkien and uh invent Sorry. their own i'm famous- just trying to look who's tolkien now <laughs> 
they kind of invent their uh, they want to be quite original but also stay true to mm. their yeah i remember um, this D yeah. roots and they use a lot of um new words it um a lot of stuff feels quite gaelic but also uh slightly odd usage of characters and stuff which makes it feel different but i don't know if they really landed that mm. uh, it can be quite hard to pass exactly what's going on who all the factions are and what these words mean and in the second one um for me their factions are quite hard to um comprehend like it's not a problem because uh, they have a really nice system in all their dialogue where you can hover over um any noun that pops up uh, like for example the valian trading company is mm. one of the main factions in the game and you hover over it and you get a little uh pop-up box explaining uh, a little bit about it in case you've forgotten who they are and that kind of stuff uh but then uh, my major problem is uh the factions are many and almost indistinguishable because you have the Valian Trading Company, the Devfire Trading Company, and they're in conflict with the Raparu and the Hanu. And then there's various um, cases within those tribes people. And you think you've got kind of a hand on it when it's like, oh, the, the native people are these guys with squiggly lines on their faces. But mm. it turns out they're in all of them, <laughs> uh, much like um, normal, like a, a real people. Why <laughs> can't I just judge these people by their skin? Damn it! <laughs> um, yeah, that's uh, for someone who's good with the wordings to <laughs> have opinions about. Yeah, like I think, like so, I don't want to have opinions about this. So I played it. Mm. Um, I think I liked like one of the reasons I feel the need to joking aside. One of the reasons I feel compelled to restart Pillars of Eternity is when I was super into it. I had kind of like. Um, I have a brain that holds on to law, as as people know. But um, if it if it hasn't fully stuck, it goes away again. It's like mm. law in like a temporary state. And like I was in a sort of like a period of period pillars of eternity where I didn't know what its factions were. And I know that my character when I my first run was from the Valian Republic, so that was instantly I remember. Oh, Fantasy Venice, mm. like you know, kind of um, it fills in. Um, but it went again because it has no other hooks because it just exists in these games. And I did, I think I quite liked that kind of use of, of language and sort of recalibration of fantasy tropes. And I wouldn't say it was, it was that different to any number of fantasy novel series. It felt very much like modern mm. sort of epic fantasy. Um, because the, because the Pillars of Eternity world is, is slightly more technologically advanced. It's not quite medieval fantasy and it's not like quite full, like, because there are gunpowder weapons. Like it's, it's, especially it, in the second one. Yeah. It pushes closer to, sort of early modern, you know, bordering on kind of like, not quite enlightenment maybe, but like renaissance, I guess it's like mm. a renaissance era fantasy, which has some peers in like Warhammer fantasy traditionally. Mm. Um, one of the things that sets it aside. Um, but that starts to bring it, I mean, not that any fantasy exists separately from, from historical parallels or social issues generally, but like, it's funny, like we've sort of gestured around it and joked about it, but like my concern for dead fire is that it's sort of like throwing fantasy directly at now quite a, uh, like pretty shitty period in history and i'm interested to see how they na navigate that so for that reason i really do want to play it the flip side to it i really like boats <laughs> so those two things are those two things are uh you know mm. operating in my approach to it but i actually do want to i want i want to give it the maximum chance to kind of like i think the reason i joke about needing to play it again is because i for me these games i went back to Baldur's Gate recently um are like worlds you sink into and I don't ever really want to come in halfway. Like mm. I want to be fully in it 
yeah. by the time I... Like, I'm kind of almost nervous about them announcing a new Dragon Age, which they might at E3, possibly, because it kind of means I have to replay Inquisition. <laughs> and that, that, I sunk, like, 180 hours into the game. I don't have time to do that. And it's dumb that I think that's mandatory. But there's some element of, like, requiring a run-up or something that, like, gets me in. Like, it allows me to get more out of the game in the long run. It's not just some sort of, like, weird... Um, it's not some weird sort of self-punishment or something. It's like, it's how I feel. It's how I get the most out of them is by like occupying those worlds for a long amount of time and sort of like sucking all of the big capitalized nouns out of them and then moving on like a kind of silly word vampire. <laughs> yeah. If they announced Half-Life 3, I would replay Half-Life 2 in preparation for it. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's a full 10 hours of your life that you're <laughs> Shall we do some questions from questions? Oh, this is my favorite bit. <laughs> it's the best bit. And this is an especially good one uh, because we had a very good question uh, from David who writes, Dear Thurston's Video Anus Audio Edition, a joke <laughs> now six or seven years old. Uh, after listening to episode 340, slight, uh, sadly recategorized to 240, I was drawn to listen to the first few episodes of the podcast. In episode two, one of the questions asks, E3 2018 has just ended, and assuming that you are still in the PC games business, you've been asked for your thoughts on what was shown. What do you think will be the big changes in the industry in five years' time? <laughs> so this is episode two from, I think, July 2013. Now that we are living through that post-apocalyptic dystopia once envisioned, <laughs> what are your revised thoughts on your predictions? Thank you for five years of glorious pods. Uh, and that's from David. And so uh, to make sure we were properly prepared for this, we actually went back just now and listened to this sort of five minutes or so of episode two. If you'd like to listen to it yourself, it's episode two from about one hour, 22 minutes onwards. Um, an episode featuring me, Tom F., uh, Graham and Marsh and uh, oh you better believe they laughed at all their old jokes <laughs> <laughs> well it's more that we had the eerie realisation that we sound slightly different but we're basically fundamentally the same yeah like Chris said a thing and in my head I thought of a joke and then as I listened old Tom said that joke <laughs> oh fuck and right at the end of it I make a joke uh, that implies that I have no faith that the Great Incredible will still exist in five years <laughs> Uh, from that point. And so good for us. We, we did, well, we do that. In fact, our fifth birthday is actually coming up in July. So we'll, might do something special for that. But, uh, nonetheless. So John, you took some notes as we went through mm -hmm. person by person in terms of our predictions, which I thought were variously egregiously incorrect. <laughs> and actually, <clears throat> you could do a face and maybe justify why there was so much problems. Yeah. I think generally there was, um, a sense that there would be lots of sequels to games that you didn't know about yet. Which uh, is Marsh was uh, quick with Watch Dogs 2. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit behind. I wouldn't be surprised if Watch Dogs 3 is announced at E3. Yeah, actually. Uh, yeah, so we, we maybe underestimated Ubisoft's sequel cycle there in terms of how long it would take <laughs> them to get to Watch Dogs. Uh, but Tom was adamant that a AAA title would be incorporating roguelike elements of some sort. <laughs> I was like, I, I very accurately describe a phenomenon that would go on to happen, which is like, uh, small indie and mod projects invent some cool new mechanic and then the big companies all pick it up and run with it uh, because we'd seen that happen with Dota. Um, and that did happen with Battlegrounds, but I thought it would happen with Splunky. <laughs> it didn't. And for some reason, I think this is an opportunity to talk about Base Hunter. 
Uh, and I, I, I guess I now get it why people complained about me talking about Doge on the podcast for like a year. <laughs> um, you were also uh, posited the possibility of a PC conference. Uh, and then we all, I, and then hilariously, you say, would there be a PC conference? To which me and Graham, people who at the time both worked at PC Gamer, <laughs> say no. So obviously congratulations to PC Gamer on the third year of the PC conference <laughs> at E3 this 2018. <laughs> uh, Chris was excited by the um, possibility of Oculus Rift experience demo booths. Which, so I just wrote a yeah, feature. I, I think those exist. Yeah, they do. I, I just wrote a feature about in situ kind of VR cinema and stuff for Edge magazine. And so I was like, when I was listening to myself saying this, I was like, oh my God, I was actually right about something. Like the, the use of VR would be in terms of like in situ things rather than in the home experiences at events and conventions. However, I then go on to say in episode two that this will be some sort of like tickle based experience where someone tickles you <laughs> yeah, while you're, you're pretty also- sure on this. You put money and on it. I, and I actually put money on it. <laughs> and no one took me up on this, thank God, because, you know, like. I'll get in on that action. <laughs> um, no tickling in 2018. <laughs> so I, I was right, but as far as I know, I was dramatically wrong unless if someone gets tickled in virtual reality at E3 this year, yeah, which could yet. still happen, <laughs> then I was right and apparently maybe get some money from Marsh. I don't know. In that VR <laughs> climbing game, they blow you with fans while you're going up, mm. which is a similar kind of experience. What I'm saying is if you're attending E3 this year, actually, I'm not going to tell someone in the industry to tickle someone. That's not a, <laughs> that's just a fucking terrible idea I just had to go with the, the fucking terrible idea I had five years ago. So uh, Between yourself and Graham, you thought there would be... Uh, esports and wargaming tournaments held within the uh, event itself. So, yeah, like I thought, e- I thought esports would take a more central role in bringing streamers and YouTubers to E3. I'd say I was right about streamers and YouTubers being increasingly catered to by the mm-hmm. way E3 is structured. Uh, I was wrong about esports being the vector by which that would occur. And for that, I am sorry and resign <laughs> my. <laughs> Uh, Marsh was pretty certain that uh, cloud computing, specifically to uh, power AI, uh, would be in the mainstream. All the, all the things he he predicts are so much like what Microsoft said the Xbox One would do, like when they're announcing mm. it and trying to vaunt it. It's got the cloud, and the cloud has infinite computing power, and that will power AI and more innovative gameplay. And I've never seen a single piece of evidence but for that. It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> So that, those sorts of claims by Microsoft, like Microsoft, I feel particularly when they're in like um, different tech companies are capable of adopting to varying degrees the sort of futurist, idealist position, and whenever Microsoft do it, there's an implicit like Ron Howard voiceover, <laughs> <laughs> and that is their curse as a company. It didn't <laughs> exactly <laughs> like Apple somehow have evaded this. Um, I, I, deservedly or not, whereas Microsoft, I think maybe that is that case, is that sort of endless sense of like bluth. <laughs> <laughs> Very confident of things. Well, they just straight up announced that they're already doing it when it doesn't work yet. <laughs> like, they're just, this would be a nice idea. We're just going to announce it's already happening and you need our console to do it. Yeah. And then... It didn't. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, finally, Graham, though he didn't know the exact name of it, was adamant that the sequel to Mass Effect Andromeda would be dropping this year. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is, John, it's the right year. He was spot on <laughs> yeah. about what year it would be announced in if it was going to be announced. Could it still happen, Chris? It was, so the, the way it's phrased is like the, the sequel to the next 
Mass Effect trilogy, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he got the timing spot on. But, but is the is the backlash, backlash, backlash right? And a lot of people are currently going, Andromeda was actually pretty good. Yeah, and it, it was pretty good. I said this at the time. Yeah. But no one believed me because I always say that. Do you think why? <laughs> <laughs> I guess we have a good chance of Anthem showing up. Yeah. We have, well, actually, I think there's a good chance of Dragon Age showing up. Mm. Um, I really do think there's a good chance of Dragon Age showing up because just the right rumblings have happened in the right parts of the right people are doing interviews all of a sudden. I'm very curious about Anthem actually about uh, sort of their level of investment in it and um, their confidence in it because I've just never heard anyone say anything nice about it. Like <laughs> there's so much hostility to it from all quarters in my sphere of the internet. I mm. like watching the video. I thought, Oh, that looks cool. I might play that mm. depending on how mandatory it is for it to be caught. Um, but yeah, it's just people are so like Mass Effect fans are pissed off. It's not Mass Effect. Um, fans of every Bioware series ever have sort of come out of the woodwork to say, well, this isn't what I want. <laughs> it's the one thing they could all agree they didn't want. Like, <laughs> yeah. Previously, it's mostly that's sort of uh, more, you know, interfactional than, but at least it brought everyone together. Um, it's, yeah, I think this should be a good year for Anthem to show up and be a video game rather than be a sort of weird omnidirectional promise video mm, super staged uh co-op playthrough where like actors are <laughs> you know doing the i, I just think yeah, it's doing right. a division right like, this is me being spectacular wrong five years ago but i thought the sort of esports or like you know live play would sort of step in to kind of cater to the so i sort of i guess i was right in thinking that uh the actual experience of play the kind of thing that lets players relay to their audiences would become more important at e3 which it would but I didn't anticipate that one of the ways in which that would manifest itself was in the form of actors pretending mm. to be players, which is nonetheless Inevitable. what did happen. Yeah. 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 We were, a lot of our predictions were all like about single player games, which is still, mm. that's where the money is. <laughs> uh, it's not. Yeah. Cause, cause you can make infinite money out of people if they care about how their character looks and they only care if other people are going to see it <laughs> and, or like what weapon they have compared to other people or just, most of the things you can spend money on significant money is about like i've got this thing other people don't have mm. <coughs> yeah like i'm i'm surprised none of us maybe it's not surprising because we were drinking but none of us predicted that e3 would become a consumer event did it already feel like that from your perspective or no, i've never been to e3 e3 is mm. the one i'm sort of weirdly disconnected from apart from watching the the live shows Hmm. But yeah, so more than anything else, it was just strange to hear what we really thought was going to happen within mm. that framework. Also, it's, it's strange to hear that the, the original questioner sort of like gives us some clues by harking back to what had happened four years before we recorded <laughs> in 2009. And at that point, we all died. We all, uh, yeah, turned into ash <laughs> and blew away. <laughs> In my defense. <laughs> uh, so no, the AAA world has not taken on the roguelike format or randomization in any, in any major way. But couldn't it be said? Isn't there an argument that something of the scale of Slay the Spire, which I don't have significant, I don't have specific sales figures on, but I came 60,000th in the daily challenge. So <laughs> 60 fucking thousand people playing it every day at least. Uh, I think that game has to have sold a million units already and it's in early access, which is, it's not, like it would be mm. meaningless to call that triple A, but there are major, major games doing roguelike stuff. Like roguelikes are massive. 
Yeah. And also in your defense, it's not unforeseeable that like Spelunky 2 shows up at PlayStation's conference mm. at E3, mm-hmm. for example, that it, it's given main stage prominence. That's probably yeah. the thing we failed to predict. Like we saw this happening in terms of those trends being adopted into AAA games and therefore getting a presence at E3 via that channel. Whereas actually these, these sorts of designs and these sorts of games do have a presence at E3 through the greater presence of indie at mm. E3. Was it Sony's conference where they uh, riffled through 50 indie games and had Steve Gaynor up on stage? And- yeah, exactly. So, you know, um, in a way, we were both right and wrong at the same time. <laughs> the state we exist in 100% of the time. Um, good. I think that pretty much addresses our predictions. I don't really want to get into our predictions for... 2023 at oh this God, point. Yeah. <laughs> because maybe that's for a post e3 episode yeah in this case yeah like, let's see what this year does <laughs> yeah also because you know, this goes from like i think games would have changed slightly to like <laughs> year three of the bread wars <laughs> <laughs> um but that's a different matter in this case simon writes is there any point for a journalist to go to the hassle of visiting e3 anymore can you get mostly the same experience watching the trailers online and then standing in a queue for a bit? <laughs> P.S. Bonus points if you reuse this question when Gamescom rolls around. Regards, Simon. So we've managed to pick a lineup, a pod lineup of people who are utterly uninvolved in the day-to-day running of Game of Thrones But uh, I do remember going to... I only went to E3 once, but it was definitely like you get home and then you find out what happened at E3. It was mm. like, oh, please tell me what happened because I was... I didn't check the internet when I was out there. I was, went to my appointments so I didn't see anything else. And same with GDC, you know, every time I get from back from GDC, I read up on what happened to GDC. I'd say that, like, so a lot of the journalists I know are either heading to E3 or dealing with E3 in one way or another. It's still a really big deal. And even though maybe it doesn't feel like it, I think its role has, has changed somewhat. Um, it's now, I think, the annual AAA and console show to some extent, um, because recent history has proven that games can become the biggest games in the world with almost no impact on E3 whatsoever, right? Like, um, uh, the vectors by which something becomes a massive success have somewhat become detached from the industry's largest circus. However, it's still super important for a bunch of reasons. Like any website you name will meet its traffic targets in the first half of June yeah. or not at all. And that's not, um, that's not trivial. Having worked on websites and Asian Topsy, you could say the same thing. Like that's, you know, that a testament to, uh, how many eyes it draws, uh, in such a short space of time. And E3 itself is, is sort of a game of chicken, I think, between the publishers. Whereas where they, a lot of them would probably do better to have their own events, to curate their own environments, to, you know, show their games to streamers and YouTubers and press in, in, in a place that they're not competing for air with at literally everybody else at the same time. And a lot of them try it to some extent, pre-revealing things or doing events ahead of time, which is already happening. Um, but none of them can leave unless the rest of them leave because they're locked into this sort of attention cycle. Cause during E3 week, as long as there's a critical mass of the big publishers there, that's where all the eyes will be. So breaking off to your own thing, do your own thing, unless everyone's doing that results in nobody seeing your stuff. So for the time being, I think for as long as games by Activision, EA, uh, Ubisoft, Sony, Microsoft are reliably big deals every year on Bethesda until the day when that stops being the case, 
E3 will have a role because it's sort of, it's almost this recursive thing now. It pulls the industry into a single place. So that's kind of where the journalists need to be because it's not sufficient to have an article in your magazine that's just about the trailer everybody saw. You ideally, you need to have played it. You need to have talked to a developer. You mm-hmm. need to, and th- that access is not easy to arrange when everyone else is getting it from the same place at the same time. So I reckon it's like, maybe this is a more serious answer than the question was looking for, but like, it's a weird thing. Cause yeah, on per, on principle, what a weird, no other industry does this, right? Like let's announce all of our most expensive risk laden things at the same time and just hope we get coverage. Mm. And yet it's sort of how the games industry operates, at least at this level. I think what's healthy is that, like you say, like, Say this by a massive game, sustaining a company. Like, you know, Fortnite, biggest game in the world. Uh, maybe Fortnite, the actual game they wanted to make originally before they accidentally made a battle royale <laughs> game. Um, as a joke. Um, didn't got, had some presence at E3, but Fortnite battle royale certainly never did. And now. Yeah. Blah. And I guarantee you, uh, at least half of this year's E3 is going to be you can now get Fortnite or something like Fortnite on X device that previously didn't have it. Mm. Um, but that's trend leading E3, not the other way around. Yeah. God, the battle royales are going to be relentless, right? That's, that's my prediction for next week. Which is <laughs> going to be literally not like a hundred battle royale games parachuting <laughs> into LA, into the Staples Center. And then, wins. then, then, yeah, fighting for dominance. If we had a word for that, <laughs> it would be fabulous, but we don't. So the, we don't. And there isn't. A final question this week comes from Ben, who writes, you've mentioned a desire to see games do musical numbers as a kind of climax before. <laughs> I think his you is a bit specific. Let's not dwell on that. What set piece from any game in the last five years would you replace with a dance number? <laughs> And what genre of music would it be set to? And that's from Ben. The Mass Effect dance finale would be funny just because of the uh, understanding that Shepard cannot dance. <laughs> mm. Like facing off against Reaper with a solid sci-fi techno beat going and Shepard just throwing uncool shapes. So here's the thing. That's a really solid idea. However... The first Guardians of the Galaxy movie literally got to that first. <laughs> a dance-off that secures the fate of a galaxy-destroying object mm. won by somebody who can't dance. So yeah, in principle I would, but in this case, in this, in this pop culture environment, hmm. I just keep thinking of things that are already dancing on musical numbers, like when you're knocked out in Monkey Island 2 and you have a, a hallucination or, or sort of unconscious dream of uh, your parents dancing <laughs> and they become skeletons. I think your parents are dead. <laughs> and uh, you see your dancing parent skeletons telling you the solution to the next puzzle <laughs> in a musical number, which is, I just feel like games should go back to that. <laughs> so I think what I would like is, uh, because the first moment that sprang to my mind was press X to play, pay respects. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to extrapolate that across the entire, not just the Call of Duty franchise, but the entire um, linear uh, scripted sequence laden shooter genre and not change them totally and not necessarily introduce it in the form of dance. But whenever a character says what you have to do, 
like, get into position to breach the door, or press X to pay respects. A chorus of other characters uh, come in in the musical theatre manner to go, he's going to press X to pay <laughs> and, and, and like, And then begin to chant this until you do it. And then you're doing it, sets off everyone else doing it. And then everything ends in one of those, like everyone's walking down the street and there's a brass band kind of sequences. <laughs> like universally, like a sort of, uh, like a Ferris Bula uh, escalation protocol <laughs> like <laughs> applied to all uh sort of uh sort of tediously kind of uh didactic button inputs to join because the reason being all of those things are like press x to feign interaction on the way to the next half of this cutscene, right so there's no reason not to push it further than the player expects like if you if you simply deliver on the expected outcome, which is that the door will swing open, everyone will go through the door in slow motion, and then you'll shoot some people, then that's, we've been there, right? Like, what you want is like, suddenly everybody's breaching through a door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, bear with me on this one. Yeah, go on. Uh, merging Monkey Island 2's uh, f- uh, dream sequence with your dancing skeleton parents and my criticisms of Hitman's rating system. <laughs> what if, when you finish a Hitman mission, everybody you killed in that mission then performs a dance number about how well you did? <laughs> what would this... How would this express itself? Would it be like interpretive dance? Would it be to a song? It would be quiet because you are the silent assassin. <laughs> if you, yeah, if silent assassin, no one dies. So there's no dance party. And then it's increasingly loud depending on how many people are killed. If you're an absolute psychopath and you murdered everybody, it's this huge riotous, like, like, um, what are those step something movies? Uh, oh, the right. street dancing ones. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> step up to the street. Yes, there you yeah. go. <laughs> it's like that if you killed everybody. Uh, and yeah, there's, there's a discrete number of dances, obviously. It's, it's just impractical to have an infinite number of dances, but, <laughs> uh, there's tiers, you know, if there's like 10 people is this dance or less. And mm. if there's 10 to 20 is this dance. <laughs> if there's, uh, if there's 20 plus, then it's this giant, um, uh, jubilant street number and uh, yeah they just um, sing about how great the afterlife is and <laughs> dance in sequence on the coast of Sapienza I think most sort of um, so I was thinking about this recently so almost any moment in a game where you're suddenly like super powered so this is not going this is going back further than five years but the end of Half-Life 2 where you get the super gravity gun and you get that for that one moment, right? Mm. Um, this is an escalation on being supersonic, basically. Like, this is, this goes back to the Mega Drive, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the moment where you become extra you. And classic platformers always knew to give you music with this, right? Like, being, getting the invincibility power of Mario or whatever, or like, mm. like, that's all in Sonic. That's, you know, that is a, a dance number to an extent. Cause it's like, you've, you've got this power now. Do a cool dance. And I feel like subsequent games have, uh, have lost this a little bit. And this could easily be replaced by, uh, characters just breaking into song whenever <laughs> this happens. In fact, again, I always go back to it, but Saints Row is a game to do this right. Um, I was thinking about this recently because Pip and I watched the movie Burlesque, which is not a good movie, but it is a good movie, but not in the way you'd expect that to be the case simply because it's a movie about Christina Aguilera coming up with the courage to use her alt 
publicly because <laughs> Gina Aguilera's alt is very loud honking <laughs> like she's an extremely I mean, she's a very good singer she's an extraordinarily loud person like that's that is her superpower you know this as a you know this about her anyway. So when she's playing a character, you're not really watching the character. You're watching for the moment when Christina Aguilera ults. And this is literally happens in the middle of the movie. And it's set up in exactly this way. It's basically the reveal of a superpower mm. where she's lip syncing to a burlesque song. But even Kristen Bell pulls the plug, cutting the PA system. What's Christina Aguilera going to do? Just honk extremely loudly. <laughs> and it's brilliant. And shares there as well. I don't know why I mentioned this other than to say... That for me, at least, there's a very strong relationship between the sudden expression of power and going, ah, basically, but in a musical way. <laughs> I want to continue this and uh, work out what Christina Aguilera's cue is. <laughs> like a fan of throw knives or? I think. <clears throat> so I, I, cue as in the skill that happens. When yeah, like, like we're thinking like of a, in a Dota ability. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Not as in like a one, two, three, go. <laughs> I think so there's a sort of I, I feel like I don't want to cast any shade on Christina Aguilera because I'm very fond of Christina Aguilera right. however Christina, one of Christina Aguilera's characteristics yeah one of Christina, you know, she's also not she generally seems quite sweet like one of the one of the characteristics of Christina Aguilera particularly in recent music videos but also traditionally is that she always appears to be a bit sticky so <laughs> so I'm thinking maybe like a Batrider yeah sort of system <laughs> here um i don't know how far you take that i mean it could be the inverse because i mean in all her videos she's probably like greased up a little bit and all the backing dancers are all greased up so maybe yeah. she gets faster for exactly. Stack. <laughs> <laughs> exactly this is what i'm stack suggesting yeah exactly uh, she gains stacks of dirty <laughs> um yeah I, and to be honest like i feel yeah, she's basically just a hybrid of Batrider and Queen of Pain. Like that's <laughs> that's that's where Christian Aguilera falls. And uh, I just like to say uh, I've apparently completely stepped in for Pip on this episode at this point. <laughs> um, trying to think what are the kind of because the thing that catches me out about this question is sort of like moments in games from the last five years. And actually, was trying to struggle to fit, pin down like mm. um, like particular sort of you know, set piece moments or like uh story moments that we all, we were like all the, there for. Cause this does the take Bioshock all... moment is kind of a musical <laughs> anyway, but that's from almost 10 years ago. Is it? That's from 10 is years. Really? No, that is from 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah. That sounds right. Uh, but even Bioshock infinite was more than that. Wasn't it? Was it more than how many? Five. Uh, I was, I reviewed Infinite for PC Gamer, so I was at PC Gamer then. Yeah. And Gunpoint came out five years ago, almost exactly. Um, so it must yeah. be more than five years ago. Yeah, so we don't even get, um, the Bioshock Infinite musical number where it's just drowning pool. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm trying to think because this is the thing right like you're right when, when we were talking about our predictions from five years ago just now we thought we were so focused on single player games but i don't know if, what maybe this is a different question but what are our shared single player experiences from the last five years i feel like not that many because i don't know there was a time when it was just half-life 2 far cry 1 and doom 3 were mm. all like the same year and 
in that era, we're all talking about these water cooler moments in single player games. Yeah. But these days, you know, the mega hits are, I think, are Call of Duty and Battlefield and stuff. But, and they have single player campaigns, but I haven't played one in ages mm. and I never talked about, even the ones I did play, I don't remember. Yeah. Modern Warfare 1 was the last one. I remember like, there were being particular moments that we talked about. But think about it, right? Like, we all played Bioshock. I suppose Dishonored is something we've all played in the last... That's so creative that it might be quite rare to actually have similar experiences along the way. Prey, I guess. I mean, the three of us did the... We all talked about Wolfenstein 2. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the new Wolfenstein games maybe do fit into this this category. Um, And themselves teeter on the edge of music video the rest of the time. (laughs) Like... Or Teacher on the Edge of Musical, I think, simply because of the way B.J. Blazkowicz talks. Like, there's an element of, like, his sort of folksy wisdom thing and the barbecue he'll never go to <laughs> that he daydreams about while knifing robo-dogs in the first time. <laughs> like, there's something there, right? Like, I'm not sure what. <laughs> and then, like, the really big single-player games uh, these days are things like Elder Scrolls and GTA where it's not mm. about those story moments. Like yeah. We all play them, like we'll play the hell out of them and they're mega huge, but they're not defined by story moments. And there's been a handful of sort of identical Far Cry games in that time. Yeah. And even then, like, yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just genuinely trying to figure it out. Cause like there was a common sense, like we'd all played the Mass Effect trilogy, right? Like mm. we did have that kind of common investment in a very story. Except Graham. Rich thing. Except Graham. <laughs> um, I think, so I would say that Life is Strange is an example of a story. I would say that too. <laughs> yeah. That's an example of a storyline game that I think maybe would be cheapened by a musical number, but is begging for the post credit. It's begging, begging for the song over the credits mm. treatment, I think to some extent. Like the, the John Hughes movie ending. And I appreciate this is the second time I've gone to the John Hughes well <laughs> in the last 20 minutes, but like, you know, it, that's, you know. There's a danger of it devolving into glee or. <laughs> You say devolving. <laughs> um, hmm. Yeah, I'm, just, I'm actually really interested by the fact that we don't have the shared, or at least like big single player investments the last couple of years. I guess The Witcher 3 is a big one, but it's not something I'm yeah. too familiar with. It's become a lot less monolithic, I think. Like mm. back in, you know, uh, I am talking about literally like 2004 or whatever, you know, the Half-Life 2, Doom 3 thing. Uh, back then there were just a couple of big players and you were just waiting for their next big thing and that was the games industry like there was a load of things going on around it but for first person shooters it was just them and and everyone else was mm. was so far behind and these days everything is much more diversified there is no you know if you ask me who is the market leader in single player cinematic first person single player shooters I'm, I have no fucking idea I couldn't tell you <laughs> I can't think of you know Wolfenstein 2 is the last big example but that's only because it's recent Mm. Um, there is no clear leader there. It's like Uncharted. Yeah, I think maybe on, on console, consoles, like maybe if we were a if we were a console part, then maybe we'd be talking about how many God of War moments mm. could have, should have, would have been musical numbers. But Bayonetta got there first anyway, so. But I think that this is kind of a good thing. It's quite nice that the the industry is more diversified, yeah. and there's just a yeah, wider right. range of things, and loads of those things are mega popular. They're yeah, just, we're not all clamoured around this one campfire, all talking about this one thing. Yeah, right. Um, and 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 actually, storytelling has gotten sophisticated to the point that I can't tell you how you would turn her story into a musical, <laughs> like you know, without 
uh, search engine based. Well, musical. actually, I'll say this, this is <laughs> it's like um uh not that I, I don't want to say that musicalization necessarily cheapens something, but what I'm saying is that uh it's not subtle and video game storytelling often is unsubtle and uh sort of i guess pretty sort of uh, rudimentary enough that turning it into a musical is actually almost more honest than whatever it is that actually doing and talking in the case of call of duty or whatever right mm. it's fun to turn sort of po-faced uh sort of sub-clancy military yarns into musicals because they kind of deserve it whereas <laughs> video game storytelling has gotten sophisticated in other regards to an extent that um you yeah it's almost it's almost a, a, a credit to the state of storytelling in games that not everything is better <laughs> if it becomes a full-on fucking big brass band march down the street <laughs> thing where people shout everybody um as much as i would like it to be to be fair, though, the game that has delighted me the most this week is one where I can press G to break to beatbox. So, <laughs> so yes, if you would like to send us a question for a future episode of the Crate and Crowbar, you can do so by emailing us at Chris shit. <laughs> Just email Chris's personal email address. Email, email us at Chris goodwithegs.com. <laughs> now, email us at questions at Crate and Crowbar. Com. A lot of the country's watercress comes from a farm <laughs> quite close to here. Does it? Yes. Okay. Let's not outro. Tell me more, Tom. <laughs> we were driving past it between Shaftesbury and Bath, and my sister said, oh, that farm over there, that's where most of the country's watercress comes from. Like the organic stuff, at least. Damn. <laughs> we didn't know. And now we do. Um, in this country, at least, if you are listening to this from any other country in the world, this is less useful than it is to mm-hmm. the residents of the UK. And even then, its utility is <laughs> limited. <laughs> purely in your desire for uh, fresh cress at an industrial <laughs> scale. Um, uh, fresh cress being my uh, battlegrounds wizard rap name. <laughs> um, the if you would like to send us a question, yeah, it's questions at greatencrowbar.com in it. It's also at Crate and Crowbar on Twitter. Boy, I'm flagging. This is gin. There's a YouTube channel. There is. It's uh, Crate and Crowbar on YouTube forward slash and that. Uh, as ever, this episode of the podcast is supported by Patreon. Uh, miraculously. And uh, with much thanks to our backers. If you'd like to find out about more about how we fund uh, the podcast, you can do so uh, by visiting patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar have any other things to say i don't think so did we say the questions address yeah like twice okay cool. then we talked about cress <laughs> okay the cress <laughs> just wiped the whole slate for me indeed as it does it's a palate cleanser <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> if you'd like to follow us as individuals i'm on twitter at c thurston that's c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n i tom francis am at pentadec p-e-n-t-a-d-a-c-t I am at J-O-H-N underscore A-double-R. I sometimes post pictures because nobody likes it when I post words. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't post at all anymore, pretty much. Nobody likes it when I post pictures. I just people's words. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>